everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beal and Sintanis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Have with us again, co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. Um, Steve, I guess we'll start a lot of tennis spread out this past week, right? That's the best way to kind of describe it. Yeah, it, uh, listen, that's what, aside from the slams, that's the nicest thing about the sport is that it's the spreading of the wealth. That there's enough talent to go around to have to be having two, three tournaments in a week and have all of them be compelling. Yeah, they are. They, they were uh, definitely compelling this past week. And let's start with Barcelona. The final, I think everybody was was hoping uh, it would be a little bit closer than it was. Carlos Alcaraz uh, beats Stefano Tsitsipas 6-3, I, I don't know what else you can say about Carlos. I think his toughest opponent right now has been injuries. Yeah, absolutely right. Couldn't agree more because that's been the worrisome part. It was injuries that kept him out at the end of last year, forced him out of the year-end championships, forced him out again at the Australian Open. Those were two big events to miss, the year-end championships and the Australian Open. And then he had an- another injury <laughs> when he started back on the clay that made him pull out of Acapulco. So he's had a lot of difficulties. But, boy, he looks so healthy out there on the clay again. It was obviously a wise move after his injury in Miami to not play Monte Carlo. It was another break for him, but it seemed to do him good because he looked really fresh and he looked physically uh, fine the whole week. And it was pretty dev- devastatingly potent display against Sitsipas. Obviously there's been a little bad blood between them, although he was very nice when he said in advance of the match, he talked about how off the court Sitsipas is a nice guy. I like the fact that he made that distinction. And uh, they also it, said very kind remarks to each other, both of them after the match too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because in this contest, there were no, there was no animosity. Nothing happened unlike a year ago, but uh, you know, Sitsipas had the early break, David, for two, one, you thought maybe he can make a little of a go of this. And Carlos broke right back on a double fault from Stefanos. And it, it was really clear sailing the rest of the way too much power and too much touch. And of course, that's what we always talk about with Carlos is that he's bludgeoning the ball and he's backing you up and you're on your heels and all that power is coming at you off both sides. And then he throws in those drop shots. And sure, he misses them here and there, but not enough to really hurt himself. He ends up really, it, it's a devastating combination. And that's really what in the end enabled him to pick apart Stefanos three and four routinely, absolutely routinely. Devastating combination, uh, like you said. Um, you know, uh, I know Steph has been struggling a little bit with injuries and whatever. It was nice to see him have a good run, get to the final. Obviously, we wish it was a little bit more competitive. But going to that semifinal with Steph, you know, he plays Musetti. And Musetti, and I, I'll, I'll go on record saying this, if you guys want a dark horse to do some damage in Roland Garros, Musetti's a name that you may want to have in the back of your mind. You remember Musetti took Djokovic to five sets two years ago. He won the first two sets in tiebreakers, and then he completely ran out of gas. But he's had some good results on clay. He's he's one person that you may want to keep an eye on when the draw in Roland Garros comes out. But with Steph, I want to talk about, I think he had a match point in that second set, Steve. He was he won the first 6-4. He lost the second set 5-7, but I think he had a match point. He, he did. was at 5-4. Yeah, um, he did. He did. It was good. Return- he missed yeah, it was good to get his mindset back and lock in and, and win that third set. That's hard to do a lot of times when you see the finish line right there. And then all of a sudden it's much further away than you uh, originally saw. It. 
Yeah, but in, in addition, David, it was a back-end return that missed by inches. Uh, he tried to hit it at a kind of a high trajectory on the match point, and he was a little unlucky to miss it. And then the next thing you know, the set's gone. And you're right, it is. it can be hard to regroup after that. But before you knew it, he was three love up in the third and, race, and racing to victory. So that was impressive against a very good clay court player who had just beaten Djokovic, of course, in Monte Carlo. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. He's very dangerous. I don't know if I'd put him, I, I could quite see him winning Roland Garros, but boy, I could see him doing a lot of damage. I could see him pick off some, a big name somewhere along the way. So nobody's necessarily going to want to see him in, in that tournament. They'd, ra they'd rather avoid him for the most part. But uh, he, yeah, it was a good win to get back to topic here. Sitsipas did a really nice job to, to get through that. So it was not at all a terrible week for him. He was in the finals. He didn't get just, he was beaten soundly by Carlos, but still he's back in the finals and playing well, much better than he played in Monte Carlo when he lost to Fritz so easily. And so I just feel like he's on his way to, and it is his favorite surface and he's still going to beat a lot of the other guys on the clay. There's no doubt about that. So I, I, I was glad for him and he was very dignified in defeat. He fought hard and he took his loss well, and we'll see where he goes from here. No, I agree. It was good to see him play, like you said, have a good week, get to the final, and uh, hopefully he stays healthy and can do well uh, going forward in the clay court season. All right, let's move over to the to the women. You know, it's like the same names now. We it used to be all spread out, different winner every week. We didn't know who, if there would really be any real rivalries. We're getting to the point where there's, Two or three, I'd say three names right now that are pretty common near the end of tournaments. And in this tournament, Iga Sviatek beats Sabalenka, 6-3, 6-4. I think you would agree with me, Steve. Many others would agree with me right now. I think we got Iga, we got Sabalenka, and we got Rabakina. Those three are you know, maybe a little bit ahead of everybody else. I would love to get someone like Jessica Pagula in that mix. I think she's just a little bit below them. Um, again, and, and Pagula has been so consistent in events, you know, in the slams, I think she's only gotten to a quarter, but I would love to see Pagula start to get into that mix with the, the three of them. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would too, but I agree with your assessment. She, despite her number three world ranking, she really, you don't really think of her quite in the same, uh, quite at the same caliber as the three you mentioned. I will say this, David, Rabakin is still, I still don't, I feel the other two on the clay are better. Uh, Rabakina to me is, is a great player on any court, but better on hard, better on grass, a threat to win Wimbledon again. Uh, to me, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if we saw the final of yesterday replicated at Roland Garros and have, uh, once again, have it come down to Sabalenka versus Sviantek and Sviantek taking the title. Because I'm more and more believing that she's, it's not an inevitability, but it's close to that, that she's going to win Roland Garros again, barring injuries between now and then. Right, 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 right. And injuries, we're going to, we're going to talk about some injuries later in this episode because it's becoming a problem for a lot of players. And, and uh, not only a lot of players, but a few of the superstars. And we'll get there in a little bit. Um, let's go back over to the men, the BMW Open, in a crazy match. Uh, Holger Runa beat, I'm just going to say the opponent's first name, and I'm not even going to try um, the Batik six four one six seven six. Batik had so many chances, Steve. So many. What he served for the match three different times. He had what four match points. This sport, this sport is just a killer. And I, and I've said it before. 
in our discussions, if you play this game long enough, and I don't care what level you're at, there's going to be matches that you win that you have no business winning. And there's going to be matches that you lose that you have no business losing. It's just part of the sport. There's no clock to, you know, you can't just kneel on a lead. It's not football. You can't do it. Um, there's no four corners like they used to do in basketball before the shot clock came in, especially in college. Um, unbelievable. I mean, that's just a crazy match. What would what, you see in that one? Yeah, no, you, you, you set it up well. I will say this about Runa. And when you talk about the both ends of the scale and winning matches, you have no business winning and losing matches you should have won. I think it's going to be a lot more on the positive side for Runa because he has leave aside the, the kind of questionable things he might do his behavior. Some, sometimes he's abrasive. You can leave all that aside. He has a champion's mentality to me. He's a winner. And he somehow salvaged a match that really was, it was extraordinary. He was down five, two, 40, 15, the first two match points on the other guy's serve. He's, he comes back and then, you know, his opponent serves for the match three times altogether, as you mentioned, four match points altogether. But the first two of the match points are at five two double break up for his opponent. So that would and he and, you know, Runa was a little fortunate uh, to get out of that. But from that point on and he's battling a shoulder ailment, he's battling an ankle difficulty. So he had two injuries that seemed to be affecting him. He may have played them up a little big. Some people thought it was there was some acting involved. I don't know whether there was or wasn't, but the bottom line is he got through, he survived. And that's what he is. He's a survivor. And he, uh, in the end, he deserved it. He won the finals at tiebreak pretty comfortably. I believe it was seven points to three. And what can you say? I mean, that, that, you know, he shouldn't have beaten Djokovic in the Paris indoor at Bercy last fall either when Novak had three, one in the final set, but he did, but he did. There's just something about that kid. And, you know, he's not, he's just about to turn 20 as is yeah. Carlos. Those two, I can't wait. That's really what this, that match makes me thirst for is yeah. Alcaraz versus Runa, particularly in, uh, during this clay court part of the segment, the uh, circuit. The rest of the year, too, on the hard, I'd like to see them play on hard and possibly in Wimbledon, too. But, boy, the one I, I really want to see is the two of them duking it out on the dirt and hopefully at Roland Garros, somewhere along the line. I mean, Runa is now seven in the world. You know, they couldn't meet before the quarters, but, and they shouldn't meet before the quarters. But that could be quite a, a fascinating rivalry in the next across the next three, four years. Oh, absolutely agree. And, you know, we got a couple of heavy hitters that are ranked above um, him or at least have, at this point, better careers than, than Holger Runa at this point that are hurt, are struggling. Um, so there may be more opportunities for Holger Runa to get and play a guy like Carlos Algaraz in the very, very late rounds of huge tournaments. I'm right there with you. I'd love to see those battles, um, you know, in, in final rounds of, of the biggest tournaments there are. Did want to throw in um, American Taylor Fritz made another semifinal. Taylor's played a lot of tennis, but another semifinal. He made the semis of Monte Carlo the previous week. Another solid showing. Um, there's just something. I, uh, there's just something. He's quite not there for me yet. Maybe you can convince me. Maybe other people can convince me. But Taylor, I just don't think is quite there to grab a, a slam trophy especially on clay right now at this very moment, not to say it can't be done in the future. Well, you said it. I, I definitely, I agree on your last point, especially on clay. I don't see it. I could see him in the quarters, maybe 
with a good draw in Roland Garros somehow squeezes into the semis. I don't see him going beyond that. And that's no disrespect because I do feel like he has improved significantly on the clay. But he's still, to me, a better player on harder grass. I think his best chances are obviously going to be Wimbledon in the open if he is going to pull up a major. I, mean, we, we, I don't know if he's quite there for that yet either. But I am so impressed with the, with the consistency these days, the commitment, the professionalism, the all-around uh, competence of his game. It's, it's hard to find too many holes with him, and even his movement has improved. So I, I, similar, I, to I, Jesse, I, similar to Jesse on the women's side, consistency, consistent results. Hadn't gotten to, you know, the, the, the very, very late, late stages of slams yet. But yeah. um, consistency week in and week out, pretty, pretty good. Yeah, and he shakes off the defeats very, very well. You know, at times when you think he suffered a jarring loss, like he did to Tracy Austin's son, Taylor Holt, last, at, Holt at the U.S. Open last year, he just moves right on. And next thing you know, he was winning Tokyo not that long after that. So he, I, I like that quality in him. He obviously doesn't dwell on the losses. If anything, he uses it to fuel him to move on to some impressive victories. So we'll watch him closely. But I do agree with your point about the clay. That's, I, I really would be almost shocked if he won Roland Garros, but I would not be at, at all surprised if he was in the, somewhere there in the latter stages, quarters, perhaps semis. Got it. We will, we will watch Taylor carefully. All right, let's go over to Bosnia now. And this is starting to get a little concerning, Steve. And we're talking about, of course, Novak Djokovic. Hadn't played in a while, right? Played uh, a week before, loses early. He then gets into this tournament. It's a 250. Loses to Dushan Lajevic, who Lajevic goes on and wins the tournament, beats Andre Rublev in three sets, 6-3-4, Again, Andre Rublev just won Monte Carlo the week before. I was impressed Rublev even played that tournament because he's not played a lot of tennis. But let's stick with Novak here for a second. He's now, he said he's not playing Madrid, right? He withdrew from Madrid. So what yeah. do you have? You have Rome, then you have a week off, and then you have Roland Garros. Now, again, these 10-day, these, uh, what is it? Madrid and Rome are now 10-day events, I believe. Both of them are 10-day events, I believe. So there is still days as far as preparation but he's starting to not get the amount of matches that a lot of players would like to have under their belt, building up confidence as you get into a slam. Are you concerned? Oh, very concerned. Very concerned because I saw him wearing that sleeve on his right arm, which extended above his elbow when he was in Monte Carlo, when he managed to squeeze through one, get, got one win in and lost to Bissetti despite leading by, a set in four, two on a windy day, but still a match you figure he should have closed out. And then, but then when he decided to move, go on and play in Bosnia, I thought, you know what? It can't be that serious because he would, he wouldn't play. Why would he do right. it? Well, maybe he played because it's really an event that's sort of built around him and he's the hero there. And it maybe was just irresistible with all the fans to not at least try. And he always is, he always dreams large dreams. He always believes he can overcome the most adverse circumstances. So maybe that's what got him to play. But then he squeezed through another win over a, a, a kid he, he should have beaten more easily and, and lost to Lajevic, as you said. And he squandered 15 out of 16 break points in yeah, that match. That was crazy. Also, that was a crazy also, step. Yeah, crazy. And also 6-3 up in the tie break, triple set point, and he wasn't able to close it out, never won another point. But I think that was, you could see he just didn't look happy. And he said afterwards, I'm nowhere, I'm many levels below where I need to be to beat anybody who's 
solid on this surface. That was very revealing. He was, he, and that was not without being very generous in his remarks about his countrymen and talking about how happy he, has, he was for Leibniz, but he obviously was not happy with how he played. So then I thought, okay, he's really going to put it all into Madrid and Rome now. And the next thing you know, we hear he's pulled out of Madrid. So yes, I'm concerned because even on top of the elbow, which is obviously lingering, Mark Petchy, who reported it for Tennis Channel, said there had even been some talk that he might even be having a shoulder issue on top of the elbow uh, so that nobody really knew for sure because the reason wasn't given. There wasn't an official statement given with the withdrawal to say he's pulling out of Madrid because of. So we assume it's the elbow. I hope it's only the elbow. But the point is, David, let's remember, it was five years ago after he'd had some real difficulties the previous year in 2017. In 2018, he had against his against his will almost because he hated to do the surgery he did an elbow procedure and that seemed to to have gotten rid of the problem once and for all but now here five years later we see him struggling with it it wasn't like you didn't feel like he could it wasn't like he was totally uncomfortable serving or he couldn't hit out freely off the ground at times but he obviously he never has never looked comfortable to me in any of the four matches that I saw him play in the two tournaments he still never looked entirely like himself. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and it obviously is not just the lack of match play. He's, he's worried about his physical condition. So, yes. Now, you mentioned about the schedule. It could be that what he'll do is, if he is ready, he goes to Rome and he gets as many matches in as he can there and then does play the next week leading up to the French, feeling he does need even more matches. That's the best-case scenario. And even that is not great. Ideally, you don't want to play the week before, although he did that two years ago when he won the tournament for the second time. So I, yeah, I'm worried because I, yeah, think, I think a lot depends on what, what happens in Rome, right? If, if he plays Rome and he does amazing and he gets to the final, let's say maybe he doesn't play that next week, but if he only plays two matches, let's say, I think it'd be smart for him to play the following. Yeah, it would. Just it would. Keep getting, if he's healthy, right? If he's hurt, that's another story. But Yeah, but it's obviously got to be very very disconcerting to him because here he was out missing missing the, the Sunshine Double. So he hadn't played since Dubai. So you th- I thought, boy, he's going to be so fresh and eager and ready to go here for these clay court tournaments. And then you wonder, why did, it, why did this happen? I guess it had been building up because you can't say – that the injury has come about injury or injuries have come about because of just too much stress and too much play. He had a lot of time to be right. getting. So I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's very concerned and also even about where, what, what happens beyond Roland Garros, because if for some reason he's not ready for, or can't play Roland Garros, is he ready in time to, to try to win his eighth Wimbledon title? I mean, we just don't know. No, we, we don't. And, you know, speaking of Novak, we got to also talk about another uh, member of the big three, the original big three, I guess. Uh, the King of Clay, no Rafael Nadal still. He isn't playing Madrid. We had Amy on with us, Amy Lundy, last week. She has been hearing things that it's not very good for Rafa Nadal right now. Um, health-wise, Rafa said the treatment wasn't going as planned. They're going to try to do uh, change course. With the treatment, try something else. Um, we'll we'll see. I mean, if, if they, this is a crazy stat, and I may have to look at my phone, so I apologize for the viewers to look at it. But there's a chance that we may not have. Um, obviously, we won't have Roger if we don't have Novak and Rafa in the French Open. 
That's the first time none of the big three will be in the main draw of a slam since 1999. There's been at least one member of the big three in the main draw of every Grand Slam this century. The last time there were no members of the big three in a main draw of a Grand Slam was the 1999 U.S. Open. Let's hope that doesn't happen, Steve. That's a miraculous statistic. No, it is. It's it, it, yeah. You have to be concerned. I, I'm concerned because Rafa. Listen, with Rafa, it, it's it's very hard to call. You, you couldn't have believed in a thousand years that he was going to win it last year when he left the court in Rome in real pain against Shapovalov. He had two clay court tournaments, and nothing was going right. He gets injections every day, and he wins the French. Phenomenal effort. Now it's it's worse in a way because at least last year when he came into the French after sort of a disrupted clay court campaign, he had played up through Indian Wells. He'd had the great start to the year. Yes. He'd won the Australian. He'd won Acapulco. You know, he won the pre-Aussie tournament. He'd had three titles. He was going for four in a row in Indian Wells. So he played so well and confidently earlier in the year that maybe that's what got him through Roland Garros in the end. But this time he has not played since that second round loss in Australia. So he's going to have to try, even if he does come back in Rome, this, it, we don't know about how many matches he might get there. <laughs> so, and then he has the option of trying to play the following week, but I think he's got to be worried because there were so many other physical problems prior to the injury to his hip in Australia to throw that on top of the ribs and the abdomen, all these other, obviously the career long knee issues that are under control now. And then the foot, which is what almost could have destroyed him at the French last year. It's so many things that he's got to be concerned about beyond the latest injury. On the other hand, that's been a magical, magical place for Nadal, Roland Garros. So somehow if he's able to get in there, I mean, I, I just won't count him out yet. But I, would be, it would be a real shame if we didn't have him there. And then on top of that, if we didn't have Novak. Let's hope we don't get to that point. But uh, well said. OK, let's move over to Madrid. Um I just saw something that I was pleasantly surprised to read about it earlier today. Bianca Andreescu, she said she's going to make her return to Madrid. We saw her get injured and we were just crushed for her because she was playing really well. And this poor, this poor woman cannot stay injury free. Um, We thought she was going to be out a lot longer than she was. I'm so glad that she's able to, to hopefully return to Madrid. Obviously she's not going to go against any of her doctor's orders. So maybe it wasn't as, as bad or the or the rehab went quicker than expected always good to see her back on the clay now just please stay healthy yeah i mean listen we're, we're gonna i i hope that, that we have to see her out there we've got to see how, how does she look in the early rounds does she win any matches or does she get hurt and withdraw again but it certainly is a good sign to me because i don't think that she would want to be rushing it back i think she would listen to the doctors i think she would be willing to forego the French even if it meant that she was going to be fully fit by Wimbledon and then try to make a big bid and eventually come back and try to win a second U.S. Open title. So she's an exciting player. She's one of the most interesting players in the women's game to watch, maybe the most interesting player to watch in women's tennis. So I I hope that she is healthy this time. I I hope that she's not rushing it and that this is a, a good sign that she's going to play decently there and then move on to Paris and see what she can accomplish at Roland Garros. And another player we want to talk about, you know, we, we go back to Australia and we mentioned, we, we mentioned a lot of the Americans. It's the, uh, the, the Tommy Paul's, the Ben Shelton's don't forget about Sebastian Corda, his run in Australia. He beat Daniil Medvedev 
And then he got hurt. He hasn't played a match since Australia. He's in the draw in Madrid. It'll be interesting to see the type of tennis that Sebi Korda can produce because everyone's been so high on him as he's been coming up through the ranks. But again, he's also dealing with a lot of nicks and a lot of injuries in his young career. So hopefully uh, he can have a long stay of being injury free for a long time. He's going to need, we got to give him some time to return to form. I wouldn't expect too much in this first week back, but I, I, I hope he, he just looks healthy, plays well, gets through a few matches if possible. And that my hope for him is that by the summer, by the hardcore season, we're seeing the very best of quarter again. The same quarter we saw reach the final of Adelaide and reach match point against Djokovic before losing and then beat Medvedev and Herkosh in Australia. So uh, I want to see that quarter reemerge. And I, I have a feeling it'll be the hardcore season when we'll see him at his very best. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so we said no Novak. No Rafa in Madrid. I don't know who's going who's gonna to stop Carlos, but we're recording this Monday night. Remember, it's a 10-day event, so this, this event starts in two days on Wednesday. You and I will record next week. We'll still be in the early stages, uh, early to mid-stages of that tournament, so we'll report more on Madrid then. But uh, I don't know. You see anyone stopping Carlos? No, no, no. I have to say, it, barring again, barring some kind of a new injury to him or him overplaying or he gets in a long match in one of these upcoming events in Madrid or Rome and does something to something wrong with his body. He's in such great form. And then when you look at Rafa coming in under those kinds of circumstances and Novak trying to recover his confidence and, and his full physical health. It's hard not to say right now, at this very moment, Alcaraz being the clear favorite at Roland Garros. Yeah, well said. We'll end on that note, Steve. Thanks again for your time. We'll do this again um, early next week, so we'll have a lot more to talk about um, with Madrid. Uh, anything else? No, I think we covered we covered a lot of ground, David. But it was it was another fascinating week on the tour both the men's and the women's so fans had more than enough to keep them occupied and now now we focus you know on madrid which is always always a great event because of the high altitude and the different kind of clay court conditions you know it's it's not the conditions are pretty much unlike any any of the other clay court events leading up to roland garros so we could get some surprising results there and i'm looking forward to it can't wait to watch it. Thanks again, Steve. Thanks, David.